Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash AJZ. This activity is supported by an educational grant from BioMayU. Welcome to this peer voice activity on rapid diagnostic testing for respiratory tract infections. This activity comprises a series of six streaming episodes with Dr. Pyle Patel and Professor K. Roy. Hi, my name is Pyle Patel, and I'm an infectious diseases physician and the system-wide director of antimicrobial stewardship at Intermountain Healthcare. As a global community, we now recognize that decades of overuse and misuse of antibiotic therapy have resulted in the emergence and spread of resistant bacteria. We further recognize the importance of responsible and careful management of antibiotics as a precious resource to ensure that we have effective antibiotic therapies available when patients need them for many more years. In the following episodes, we're going to explore the role of rapid diagnostics as part of a robust antimicrobial stewardship program. What is antimicrobial stewardship? I really like this definition from the CDC. It is using the right antibiotic on the right patient at the right time with the right dose and the right route. And how can rapid diagnostics play a role? Well, first of all, what are rapid diagnostics? Rapid diagnostics can include things like polymerase chain reaction, multiplex PCR, nanoparticle probe technology, PNA fish, and MALDITOF. And you may have heard a couple of these being used before in your hospital or lab. But do they actually improve patient care? I think this is a really interesting scenario where two different groups used the same rapid diagnostic and tried to improve patient care, but one was successful and the other one was not. And the big thing here was antimicrobial stewardship programs helped the rapid diagnostics be successful. So really, it's a melding of antibiotic stewardship programs and diagnostic stewardship to improve patient care. Rapid diagnostic tests can allow for more accurate diagnosis and targeted antibiotic treatment. In the U.S., multiplex panels are available for bloodstream infections, respiratory tract infections, GI infections, and meningitis and encephalitis. Here's an example of what a multiplex panel for a respiratory tract infection can look like. Timing is key. When we think about routine lab testing for respiratory viruses, this can take from several hours to several days to generate results for clinicians. But decisions about hospitalization, selection of antibiotics, antivirals, and patient care often need to happen much quicker than that. Rapid diagnostics can really help close that time gap and help the physician know if antibiotics are even needed. In summary, Diagnostic stewardship can really complement an antimicrobial stewardship program by helping to improve diagnosis and treatment plans. Hello, everybody. My name's Kay Roy. I'm a consultant respiratory physician at University College London Hospitals and an honorary associate professor at University College London. So in this episode, we'll be exploring the strengths and the limitations of applying rapid diagnostic tests for respiratory tract infections. 
You've already heard from Dr. Patel what these are and how, why we need them. Uh, so I'll just be providing some practical points to consider, mainly based on my own experience of service setup using these tests uh, in a more acute healthcare setting. Respiratory tract infections account for approximately 60% of prescriptions for, for antibiotics in the outpatient setting. And yet up to a half of these infections are inappropriately treated with antibiotics. We know that this inappropriate prescribing promotes antibiotic resistance and increases healthcare costs. This, for a patient, at a patient perspective, leads to poor outcomes and even mortality in many cases. So what are the benefits and limitations here? Previously, tests were batched and we received the results of viral testing in many hours and even many days. This had a huge impact on patient care and delayed treatment and increased the exposure to inappropriate antibiotics. Having a point of care test improved time efficiency with quick turnaround times. And we found that the syndromic testing that we applied with a broad panel of viruses was very sensitive and had excellent specificity as well. It was simple to operate by many healthcare professionals, but it was an expensive service, not just the cost of the machine and the consumables, but also in the healthcare team that was required to operate this on a 24 hours basis. The problems start really with the qualitative uh, results. And although they are sensitive, they're specific, we don't always have a accurate numbers here. We're dealing with a lot of qualitative data and we don't have the real world data and evidence in all circumstances to back this up. Also, we have to think about um, how we can improve these settings in an acute um, environment and being able to differentiate between viruses and bacteria are very important to provide that reassurance to the patients and the healthcare professionals. And we also need to work very closely with the multidisciplinary team. So that's the microbiologist, the virologist, the uh, infectious disease physicians and acute physicians to ensure that the results we receive don't confuse us, but actually provide, provide some clarity. And it's really important that we can put these results into really um, robust pathways of care and algorithms can be drawn up to ensure that everyone has the confidence to apply the results and improve patient care. So despite the evidence that we have um, that rapid diagnostics have accurate diagnostic capabilities, fast turnaround times, improving um, antibiotic prescribing in patients, why do we not use this enough, especially with, uh, in, in light of our, the recent pandemic we've had as well, where it's uh, put more of a stress and, um, influ and importance on having these systems and methods in our acute settings. The barriers, as we've discussed, is really about having um, having the costs um, addressed, having uh, the understanding of how this can be implemented in a clinical setting is key. But also if we come to the patient level, there is um, the expectation that um, the result will, will give a clear-cut answer. So all of these will, in fact, um, impact uh, and create barriers um, to widespread use of these um, diagnostics. So in summary, rapid diagnostics can help tailor the appropriate antimicrobial therapy. Looking at populations at large, this can uh, improve antimicrobial stewardship and really address our key 
um, uh, kind of objectives in reducing um, resistance. It can optimize how we manage patients uh, by avoiding undue empirical therapies. But we really need to look back at those issues we've discussed just now to understand why these tests remain underutilized, especially since we've had a pandemic with COVID. And this is the most timely um, period in, in our, uh, in medical history that we have to look at point of care testing, look at rapid diagnostics and how it can improve our patient pathways. So I'll end there, but do stay tuned for Dr. Patel, who's going to look at a complicated case in the emergency department. Thank you. Hello, everybody. In episode three, we'll visit an emergency department where a patient is being evaluated for a respiratory infection. This is Hannah. She's 63 years old, and she presents to the emergency department with a low-grade fever, malaise, fatigue, and cough that began three days ago. As we look at her medical history, we see that she has diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity. She's had cancer and followed by surgery and chemotherapy in the past. She also has sleep apnea, urinary incontinence, and she's vaccinated and boosted for COVID-19. As the patient is worked up, we see that she does have a low-grade fever at arrival to the emergency department. Her blood pressure seems to be doing well. It's actually 153 over 95. Her pulse, she's not tachycardic. And on a chest x-ray, there's a possible infiltrate in the left lower lobe noted. So what would we do in this situation? This is a really common kind of situation that someone would see in the emergency department. We don't have a ton of information yet. The person who's probably seeing this patient isn't an infectious diseases physician. It's usually going to be an ER physician. It could be an urgent care physician or a primary care physician, or really also this person could be seen in telehealth. I think this would be a good time to test to see if we can identify perhaps a virus. Typically in an ER, especially after the pandemic, this person may get a multiplex PCR panel that, it, that can at least look for COVID-19 RSV or the flu. This can be really helpful because it can help triage isolation requirements and help figure out treatment plans as well. At this point, much of the triaging can happen without involving teams like infectious diseases if that testing can be done early on. I also think this is a nice point for stewardship teams to work with either the ER or primary care or urgent care center to help get an algorithm going for what to do depending on the diagnostic testing. It's also important to monitor if a viral infection is documented, meaning antibiotics are not needed. There are a lot of opportunities to involve and practice antimicrobial stewardship in these settings with diagnostics. Thanks for watching. Please stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, I'm Dr. Roy, and in this episode, we'll be exploring the role of rapid diagnostics in a patient with a community-acquired acute respiratory tract infection. And here we'll be looking at the context in which rapid diagnostics can be put to best use and how it can positively influence the value for both patients and the community at large in addressing issues such as antimicrobial stewardship um, and 
antimicrobial resistance, but also personalised care for the patient, as well as infection control. We'll be looking at where the gaps in care in the community lie and how this can be actually met through rapid diagnostics. So currently in the UK, we're meeting large numbers of patients of all ages suffering with influenza, uh, RSV, uh, amid a crisis with our national um, emergency services, so where patients are presenting frequently with a huge spectrum of manifestations and presentations with these um, respiratory infections. So I'm going to talk about a case of a gentleman who's in his 60s. And this story that I'll talk you through um, is uh, before the pand is before the pandemic, um, when I worked in an acute setting, but also had a community COPD service where these patients um, were 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 looked after. They were um, at home. So it was a hospital at home service. So whenever these patients had a flare up or an exacerbation of their symptoms, they would call into the respiratory nurses, the COPD team and receive care. So this gentleman, like many others with severe COPD, had frequent exacerbations, particularly in the winter. He utilised a rescue pack provided by the GP and this was a repeat prescription he was given through the year. It consisted of antibiotics, probably amoxicillin, as well as prednisolone steroids to address his worsening symptoms. He had cough, he had um, breathlessness, he had chorizal and upper respiratory tract symptoms as well. He'd been vaccinated, um, but he, um, he wasn't keen to hold off using his rescue pack. So he phoned the nurses saying that he would start this straight away and his wife was also quite keen for this. But the team asked him to refrain uh, until they had seen him at home. And looking at him, listening to his history, he it was like his usual exacerbation. His vital signs, they were not such that he demonstrated signs of sepsis. So the nurses were felt comfortable that his management could continue at home. There was no cardiovascular compromise. And uh, although his oxygen saturations were slightly reduced from his baseline, uh, they felt careful surveillance was key here. Again, the patient and his spouse were quite keen that he started antibiotics straight away because he was prone to bronchitic symptoms. But the nurses, again, um, ensured through um, careful evaluation that this was this was held while the samples were taken. So a nasopharyngeal swab was taken and processed in the community hub. This diagnostic hub was quite close to his home and a result was processed and provided to the patient and the rest of the team within a couple of hours. So although he um, he was quite prone to viral infections. He felt on each time that each time that this would be um, treated adequately with antibiotics. On this occasion, his sputum was not more discolored than usual, and his history did not suggest that he had a pneumonia. So when the nurses provided him the results, they confidently could tell him that he had influenza A, and that there was no other. There didn't appear to be any other need to pursue antibiotics. So in fact, it was antivirals, alsatomivir, that was commenced. And 
He was also given all the necessary advice around infection control to prevent spreading the virus to other vulnerable family members. And he was observed for two weeks in total. So although a rocky start at the beginning of those two weeks, he improved reasonably well. And what was very important is that some education, some change in behavior could also be, um, could be, um, uh, reflected upon here to improve his understanding of why antibiotics had been held in this um, in this setting. So I would like to end this episode and um, uh, please stay tuned for the next one. Thank you. Hello everybody, um, it's Kay Roy again and welcome to episode five. So I'm taking you from the community now to explore the role of rapid diagnostics in a more critically ill patient. And it's always more complicated here um, in, in hospital because we're trying to tease out, trying to navigate the causative microorganisms here in patients because they've come in with a, f- a type of um, infection or flora that they've acquired from the community. Once they're admitted, they develop um, hospital-acquired infections. And this will also vary according to where they are in the hospital or what level of care they're requiring. So ventilator-associated infections, again, are very different to other parts of the hospital where they're not receiving as many um, invasive um, interventions. Rapid diagnostics can be quite invaluable here in the decision-making process and ensuring that we very quickly and effectively treat these often um, very rapidly declining patients. And we we have to ensure we're doing that without resorting to lots of treatment trials. So to illustrate these issues um, that I've just um, spoken about now, I'd like to share a case that I had uh, of a patient I looked after last year. So this is post-COVID pandemic, and it's post the second wave we had in the UK. Uh, So we thought that COVID was well and truly over. Um, And I'm going to talk about somebody who's not got COPD, but he's compromised in his immune system because he had an underlying malignancy for which he'd previously been on chemo. So this gentleman, he came into the emergency department with a fever. His viral screen had been completely negative for a whole um, kind of panel um, of testing, but he had been started on antibiotics due to the fever, due to his previous medical history and also due to the radiological findings, which were suspicious somewhat of a fungal infection. And so he was started on both antibiotics and antifungals here. Despite this, he wasn't, he was not getting better. He remained quite static. And it was half, it was halfway through the week, however, that his oxygen saturations then began to drop and he began requiring more intensive care. So at this stage, His imaging was repeated and his CT scan looked even worse with new consolidative areas. His case, as we've discussed previously, um, involved a whole multidisciplinary team of working because he was so unwell. And it was decided that additional broad spectrum antibiotic was required here. His fever had not gone down and his C-reactive protein was also climbing. We had no positive microbiology identified, so we carried on. However, he did not improve and the fever just not was not settling. 
So then we decided we start all the way from the beginning, start afresh, repeat the investigations, the full syndromic viral panel, and this time it came back positive for COVID. The relevant treatment was started as per the guidelines and he improved. He was already um, a very complex patient. We had to have lots of very um, intensive discussions with the family because of the potential to decline. But we felt more reassured that we'd actually found the organism. We knew what we were treating. And what this case really provided for was, as was a lot of reflection and insight into how there is that need to start from the beginning. Having assumed that his case was complicated, we assumed that all the organisms that he would be manifesting would also be very, very complex. And we assumed that he would be colonized with a lot of weird and wonderful bugs. But the culprit was actually right under our nose. And we kept pushing this patient further up the antimicrobial ladder when it wasn't really the right thing to do. So a lot of case discussion came out of this and a lot of learning for us, um, uh, for patients in hospital, in critical care settings, that although we do have to think about the more um, unusual organisms, sometimes it is important to just take that step back to um, start all over again and look with fresh eyes with the whole team there at what actually could be causing patients decline. And that could be anybody in the whole hospital pathway. So thank you everyone for watching, but please do stay tuned for the next episode where Dr. Patel will consider the role of uh, testing in a patient who's just recently been hospitalized with COVID pneumonia. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to our final episode. Here we're gonna explore the rationale for testing that goes beyond the standard five, COVID, RSV, flu A and B, and rhinovirus. We're gonna think about a patient. Our patient is Robert, he's 70 years old, and he was actually recently hospitalized for COVID-19. However, after going home, he began having new symptoms. He's having shortness of breath, mild fever, and cough. He has spent time with grandchildren and family in the last few days. Thinking about his medical history, he has a history of lung cancer, status post-resection, he's had bronchitis and kind of these recurrent respiratory tract infections. He smokes up to two packs a day. When he left the hospital, his COVID PCR was negative. And when he was in the hospital last time, he did receive treatment for COVID-19, including remdesivir and steroids. Other history includes a valve replacement and he's had hyperlipidemia. As we look at his vitals, again, we see kind of a very low grade fever. His blood pressure seems to be stable. He's minimally tachycardic and he's standing about 94% on room air. So again, thinking about the situation, initial testing for COVID, flu A and B, RSV is negative. But there is a huge difference here if this patient has a virus that may be undetected, such as parainfluenza or a bacterial pneumonia. Things that can help us decide are biomarkers like procalcitonin or other diagnostic testing that can help us understand if he has another virus. Understanding these could really help triage next steps for the patient, including whether the patient needs antibiotics, hospitalization. He does have risk factors for both a bacterial pneumonia as well as having viral infections.
In summary, we've listened to a few cases where diagnostics could be very helpful in decision-making. It can be difficult in the ER or outpatient setting when not much information is available for the patient and family, and sometimes having an answer, if it is a virus or a bacteria, can be really helpful in explaining the treatment plan. So I think that molecular diagnostics paired with stewardship programs are really a step forward in antibiotic stewardship. Future clinical studies and real-world practice will really help define the impact of rapid diagnostic testing on patient outcomes. And that brings us to the end of our program. I hope you found this discussion useful and relevant for your own practice. Thanks for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.